Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I want to begin with a question. Do we have any Rocky Balboa fans out there? Let's get those hands, get those hands up. I was thinking, I don't know if you know the story, but Sylvester Stallone was inspired uh, because he had seen a fight, I think, with Muhammad Ali and Chuck Wepner, something like that, where, you know, Ali, one of the greatest fighters of all time, and, and the, other, the other guy just wasn't quitting. I mean, there was no quit to him. He would just get punched and punched and punched and punched, and there was no quit, and apparently that really inspired Sylvester Stallone. The other thing that really inspired him is he needed money, and so he whips out this script for Rocky Balboa, you know, the Italian stallion, you know, the, the boxer that just won't go down and stay down, like he just keeps getting punched and there's no quit to this guy. You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, that's the way it began. Of course, he fights Apollo Creed. Uh, later, you get to Rocky III. And in Rocky III, he's having to fight Mr. T. You remember this? Am I the only one that saw this? Uh, so he's having to fight Mr. T, also known in the film as Clubber Lang, one of the great names, right? Um, and he has the first fight with him and he gets, I mean, he just gets pummeled, right? Mr. T just, t- just takes him out. Clubber takes him out, right? And there's this scene a little bit later on because he's, he's agreed to another fight and he's trying to train with his former rival, Apollo Creed, and he's just not into the training. He's not into the prep, right? And that's not gonna work, especially knowing that you just got pounded in the previous fight with Clubber Lang. And so there's this, Apollo's trying to figure out, he's like, what is wrong with you? You even have this wonderful scene where they're out at the beach and they're running together and Rocky's just kind of jogging, right? It's just not there. So he has this conversation with Adrian, Everybody remembers Adrian, right? Yo. So he's having this conversation with Adrian, and she's like, what's going on? And he's not talking about it, but eventually the truth comes out. He says, I'm afraid. That was the best I could do for kind of my Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) I'm afraid, all right? I'm afraid. And so he goes into the, then he really, once he finally gets it out, once he actually gives a voice to the problem, He's able to address it. Fear is what was controlling him. And then, boom, what he really gets with it. He gets to the training, goes into the fight, and of course he wins, and all God's people said. All right. That's, that's all I wanted to talk about this morning. Really, if, if you fast forward, uh, in Rocky Four, you know just how bad the beatings he had taken were because he's going to fight uh, Drago, Uh, the Russian boxer who had killed Apollo Creed in a fight. Am I the only one that's seen these movies? Am I? You're all sitting out there. He had killed Apollo Creed. And then Rocky agrees to fight him. And Adrian is like, what are you doing? It's like everything had just switched. What are you doing? And the one, it's like, hey, you can beat, you can beat Clever Lang. Go, you can do it. And now it's time to fight the Russian. And she's like, what have you signed up for? What is wrong with you? And then there's this moment with Rocky. He's like, you know, Adrian. I, I don't ask you to, to not be a woman. See, you can't ask me to not be a fighter. And I remember hearing that the first time and going, this guy's been punched a lot. And that's probably the moment with Adrian that Adrian goes, it's worse than I thought. It's worse than I thought. I'm asking this question this morning. Maybe there is something that is controlling you a little bit. 
that doesn't need to have the control that you give to it. I give you the example of Rocky because maybe some of us are a little bit more controlled by fear than we would ever want to admit. We haven't had that, that Rocky moment where he's looking at Adrian and saying, I'm afraid. Maybe you haven't had that moment where you've just said, I'm afraid. And you're specific with what that fear is. Here we are in this series on the Holy Spirit, the one that indwells those who believe in Jesus and has every measure of power to defeat every stronghold in your life. I'm gonna suggest this morning that many of us actually have a stronghold of fear in our life. But the good news is, is for those of you that have Jesus, you have every power to defeat it. I'm in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. So I invite you to turn there. I'll have it on the screens for you. But I wanna give you a little bit of background. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. The tomb is empty. That's good. He has appeared to Mary Magdalene and he's appeared to other women. And then in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, it says, when it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and then said to them, peace be with you. Now, here's what's going on, just so you know. It's, at this time, it's what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so nobody has actually left Jerusalem. They've come in for Passover. They're still there. They have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you wonder what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, just to say it in short, after it goes back to the book of Exodus. After the Pharaoh had let the Israelites go, if you look in Exodus chapter 12, it says that they left with their dough unleavened. They had to get out, and so they left with their dough unleavened. And so they would have this feast that is a time where they stop and they remember this tremendous work of the deliverance of God in their life. So that's what's going on. With the disciples, did you notice what happens? All this has gone on. Jesus has been crucified. They're scared. Did you catch on that in John chapter 20? They're afraid. The reason that they're afraid is, is, well, they've been associated with Jesus. Jesus has just been given the death penalty. Probably the death penalty is going to be coming on them for one of a couple of reasons. On the one hand, they may look at them and say, Jesus was trying to take over the kingdom of Caesar, right? So maybe appeal to the Romans. This, these guys have got to go because that's what he was up to. We put him to death. We need to put them to death too. Or in the passage, did you notice, it says they were scared of the Jews, these are the religious leaders. They're after them as well. And so what they decide to do is we're gonna go into a room and we're gonna bolt the doors. We're gonna Katie bar the space. We're not letting anybody in. Now that's a great way to live, don't you think? Let's go into a room, let's lock the door and let's never actually have an experience of life. But that's what fear can do. And it's what it did to them. But did you notice it says Jesus just shows up in the room. Did you catch that? So even though everything is locked up, it's like Jesus just walks through the door and is like, hello. But he speaks a word over them. He says, peace, peace. Now let's imagine for a second that Jesus has appeared to you and you know that this is a man that was put to death, but now you see him alive and walking. You're probably going to have this kind of question. What kind of power can do that? And that's a good question to ask, don't you think? And the second question that you would probably have is, do I have that power on my team? Because if I don't, I want to. That's a second good question to bring up. 
So in verse 20, here's the way that it goes on. It says, so having said this, remember he's saying, peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Basically, it's just, I want you to know that this is who I really am. This is not fake Jesus. This is real Jesus. He shows the wounds. Sometimes, especially back then, wounds is what you would show in a court of law to identify that Jesus is who he says he is. So he shows the hands. And just so you know, the word for hands literally goes from here all the way down through the wrist. It's what it means. So he's showing himself. You can see the wounds And he says again to them, verse 21, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now just so you know, in Jewish tradition, he's doing something here. Prophets would often appoint their successor. So if you're the prophet and your time has come, and it's time to hand off the ministry to somebody, so to speak, it was very common in Jewish culture for that person to pick who was going to be next in line to follow them up. And notice what Jesus says. He says, I'm sending you. In other words, what has been given to me, I'm now handing over to you, and so you run with it. Here's the catch. It's not going to happen if you're sitting in a room with the doors Katie barred, right? That's not going to happen. So he says, peace, and he says it two times. Probably because, this is a guess, the first time, when he literally just walks through a door, they're freaking out a little bit, would you? He's like, whoa, peace. And then he shows the scars. That probably would freak you out a little bit too. It is this guy. He was dead, he's alive. You would like to think if he just showed up once or tried, even once, they'd be like, you said you were gonna do that. You said you were gonna die. You said you were gonna rise. I believed you, and here we are. That's just not the way it worked. These guys would experience this multiple times before they came to the full realization that he did it, that it happened. And so twice he says, peace be with you. And then in verse 22 it says, and after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are Retained. In other words, I've just given you the commission to go and share the gospel, my gospel, with these people. And for those who receive it, their sins will be forgiven. And for those that don't, their sins will be retained. But you have the message of salvation and hope. That's what he was just telling them before. He said, what? Go, go. And so give the people this word. He says, but he breathed on them. The Hebrew word, uh, for breath is ruach. And if you look at it, the, it, you go back to Genesis chapter one, it says the spirit of God hovered over creation and brought life from chaos. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit can do. It can take chaos and disorder and death and it can create order and life from it. This is what we see in Genesis chapter one. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, God breathed the breath of life after forming Adam from the dust of the ground. What was once a physical formation, the spirit breathes over it and life is what results. That's a tremendous amount of power, don't you think? In Job chapter 33, and let's not forget what Job had gone through. I mean, what Rocky went through paled in in comparison. Job had gone through a lot. I mean, he had lost his livelihood, he had lost his family, right? But there's this beautiful picture in Job 33. It says, for the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. 
Or even 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. Or another way of saying it, God breathed and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Are you catching on to a theme here about the word breath in scripture? Let me just give you one more. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. This is the Holy Spirit. He's talking to believers. He says, you've got the anointing in you. And he remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. The Holy Spirit can teach you. Open the word. He'll teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and that, as, and that anointing is real, it's not counterfeit. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. Did you catch this? One of the things that you might hear is very common in a church is make sure that you spend time in the word of God. And one of the reasons that we say make sure that you spend time in the word of God is because of what we believe about the word of God. All scripture is God breathed. It's literally breath. Have you thought about breath lately? My guess is no, you haven't. What this is trying to teach you is that what God does, the Holy Spirit will take his word and he will animate it in your life so that you will experience the power of God operating in your life. That is what the Holy Spirit does. When you think about breathing, breathing actually isn't the kind of thing you have to think about. Am I right? That is until you are short of breath. Then you're thinking about it all the time. What, what, what scripture is trying to tell you, one of the names that is often described of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. You know what it's like when you don't have it there because you are gasping for something. Spiritually speaking, you know what it is like when the Holy Spirit is not active in your life. I'm not saying indwelling you. You know what it is like when the Holy Spirit is not active in your life because you are choking for that kind of air. And you know what it is like when the Holy Spirit is literally just flowing through your life because you can feel the difference because the power is manifesting in you. It is not just that you have the knowledge of the word. It is that you have the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting in you and it demonstrates to other people because boom, it just goes out. It goes out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Even in Galatians chapter five, verse 16, Paul said, I say, walk by the Spirit and you certainly won't carry out the desire of the flesh. Again, what did he not say? He didn't say you wouldn't have the desires of the flesh. You will. What he said is when you walk in the Spirit, you won't carry them out. Power overcomes the desire. It beats it. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. Think about the word walking. Have you thought about that lately? Am I walking right now? That was uh, your chance to answer an easy question. <laughs> I know you're still caught up with the Rocky example and all, and that's fine. Am I walking right now? I'm not. When you think about walking, what is it that should come to mind? It is literally one step after the other. There is actual progress, there is motion, things are happening. Walk in the spirit. What that also means is, is if you are standing still, you are not walking in the spirit, right? It means that you are just standing still. You're not progressing, you're not advancing, you're not moving forward in the spirit. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me give you a contrast here. If you looked at Psalm 1-1, it says, how happy is the one who does not walk 
in the advance of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Did you see a little bit of a progression there? One that is not walking in an evil path, you will be happy. In other words, is you will be blessed. God will bless it. God blesses obedience. That's one thing. He says, or stand in the pathway of a sinner. You know what a pathway is? You do, because you've used it to get here today. You used what is a road. It is a pathway that has a trajectory to get you from your home to this church, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, but there was a pathway. It was marked out. What if somebody actually created a pathway for you that was not for your good and blessing? That is hard to believe, isn't it? But scripture tells you this. You actually have an enemy that that's exactly what they do. They will create a path for you that is an alternate path from the one that God created for you. On one of those paths, it is a path of blessing. And notice what he says, walk that path. You will be a happy person. It doesn't mean that all of your circumstances go away, but you will be blessed. The other option is what you see in Psalm 1, or you can literally stand in the path with a sinner. And then, did you see the third example? It says, and sit in the company of a mocker. When you think about it, it's one thing to stand in a path, but when you're sitting down, that means that you've become very comfortable where you're at. You sit down in your home. Make sense? And what it is that they're mocking, what it is that they're making fun of is all of those that are walking the other path. They mock and they become very comfortable with it. I want you to keep that in mind because what you have and what's being demonstrated through the word of God is that you have a Holy Spirit. And I, I get it. When you look at the disciples, they even saw Jesus and they're like, I'm scared. You might be looking at circumstances in your life and saying, you know what? I am scared. I think it's okay to speak to that reality in your life because Rocky had to do it. So we should probably do it too. But here's what this also means. This also means, for example, when it comes to your marriage or when it comes to marriage conflicts or when it comes to your finances or when it comes to job opportunities or when it comes to wisdom and training your children, and we all need that, your natural flow is to be to talk with the Holy Spirit. It is just where you go. It is the flow of your life. There is no break there. You need wisdom, you're asking God for wisdom. You need something to help with your marriage conflicts. You go to the Lord who created marriage and said, I need help here, we need help here. You call out for the Spirit of God to be active in your life. We're reminded of this because we don't just need, we need people to do this as well. We need people for this. Holy Spirit-filled people you surround yourself with. Think of Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. You always feel right about the dumb things you do, right? Well, here's why I did it. I, I get it. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Have you surrounded yourself with people that can speak into your life? Like they have the freedom to do it and they're godly and they're wise. Who is that for you? You need that. Because here's why, if you surround yourself with Larry, Moe, and Curly, uh, you're gonna get Larry, Moe, and Curly kind of results. And Paul even gives us this word. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good character. Go with Paul on this. Take a hard look at who you're surrounding yourself with. The main influences in your life because those very presences can block the flow and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Believe it, believe it. 
However, when we're walking with the Spirit, he's breathing into you spiritual life and power. And just like what you saw with Jesus is the same thing that's true with the Holy Spirit. He speaks peace to you. Peace. How many of you need that? Some of you need to maybe come to grips with this reality. You actually have more of a relationship with Satan than you would ever want to admit. And the grounds of that relationship with Satan is fear. You fear him. And in that moment of fear, you have relinquished control over to him. This morning, I want you to take it back. By the way, don't, don't feel that bad about it. Because if you go back into Genesis, what happened? In the fall, in Genesis chapter three, you have the serpent showing up and they give control over. This is your moment to take control back and believe that the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer is powerful and enough to break this down. When you walk in the spirit, he's bringing spiritual life and power and he's speaking to you peace. In other words, he doesn't want you to cave into the chaos that's around you and look around a little bit, friends. There's plenty of that. Wouldn't you agree with me? There is plenty of that. Don't give in to it. When you give in to chaos, chaos is what becomes a part of you. Think about that. That said, there might be a chaos around us. I mean, when Jesus was in the room with the disciples, they were afraid because they thought the Jewish leaders probably had a hit out on them, and they probably did. Can't control the chaos, but you can control your response to the chaos. For the disciples, fear was in control. When a person lives in fear, think about it. It impacts their parenting. It impacts their marriage. It impacts their career choices. It impacts everything. Um, having some fear might not be a bad idea. When COVID first started, I don't know if you know this, there was an influencer. This was literally at the very beginning of the outbreak. There was an influencer that uh, recorded himself licking a toilet seat and I sit there and I go, why is he the influencer, <laughs> right? Who has given him that label? But he licks a toilet seat. And I know you're wondering what happened with the rest of the story. He got COVID and he went to the hospital. That's the rest of the story. But what kind of influence are you surrounding yourself with? Sometimes you need to have a healthy respect for some realities around you. That's fine. But when you think about fear, we fear because something poses a danger to us. It's a threat to us, might cause pain to someone or to somebody that we love. That's what fear does. Or we fear because we project into the future. How many of you have done this and come to conclusions about all the things that are going to happen and then 95% of them never came about? And it owns you. This is the problem with fear. And if you give it like this example, driving a car, if you let fear drive the car, not only are you in that car, but everybody else that is in the car with you is getting to do the fear ride. You just brought them into it. And Jesus is trying to say to the disciples, he's trying to say to you this morning, it can be different. And he's speaking peace over you. Most of our faith, by the way, is caught. It's not just taught. Jesus knew that. In Matthew 10, he said, I send you out as sheep amidst the wolves. Well, he's a realist. That's fair. I send you out. This probably won't be that fun, but don't be afraid. Why? Because he said, I'm with you. It's the way that Matthew's gospel ends. Matthew chapter eight. You remember this story? A storm hits the Sea of Galilee. The disciples, they're going crazy. We're gonna be drowning here. Jesus is asleep. Okay, 
This isn't like parent with a small child fake sleeping, and you know what I'm talking about when I say that. Small child starts crying, and then it's a matter of somebody pretends like they're still asleep, so the other go get it. This is real sleep. And the disciples, I see shaking heads now, right? And the disciples, think about their response. When they go to Jesus in in Matthew 8, they they go, do you not care about us? We're just getting beat to shreds out here and you're taking a nap? Are you kidding me? And Jesus has answered to the disciples, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And it says, and then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And I love their response in Matthew 8, 27. They were amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Did you notice their question? They've been with them and they go, who's this guy? Who's this guy? I just wanna to suggest to you this morning, your experience with the, the living presence of God in your life is gonna feel like that a lot of times. It's gonna come new even though you've seen great things before. And so who is this guy? And the answer is this, someone who is more powerful than the things that you fear. They were looking at waves, he was more powerful than them. What are you looking at? He's more powerful than that, he is. Consider Luke 12, six and seven. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. And indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And so don't be afraid because you're worth more than many sparrows. You're worth more. So the question I always had for the disciples, did the lesson take? Fear not. And they're like, all right, we won't. It wasn't that easy. Consider how they acted during the passion of Jesus when Jesus is facing his trials and his his death. In Mark chapter 14, verse 50, it says, everyone deserted him and fled. Oh, that's not their best moment. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. I just wanted you to hear it twice so that you know it happened. They deserted and fled. This is after the lesson. However, there was a change. The day of Jesus' resurrection, the disciples were still hiding for fear of the Jews. And this is where I get back to John chapter 20. It's the first day of the week. The disciples are together and the doors are what, everybody? They're locked. But I want to tell you the rest of the story because there's more to these. By tradition, here's what these guys went on to do. They went on to die a martyr's death. They went on to die a martyr's death. Look at the way, at least by tradition, these men died. Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword. John died naturally, and good for him. (laughs) Peacefully in his sleep. All right, but let's go on. Matthew was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Philip was crucified, Simon was crucified, Thaddeus was killed by arrows, and Thomas died of a spear thrust. What was it that took these guys from Katie barring the door and filled with fear to that? Those are different guys, wouldn't you agree? Something changed them. Fear no longer had the hold on them. And the answer is, when they genuinely witnessed and accepted the resurrection of Christ, changed everything. It changed everything. It was the proof of every word and miracle that Jesus had ever done. And the disciples went from fear and run to no fear and on a mission. It's what it took them to.
I'm reminded of this story. I'm a fan of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He has a work called The Cost of Discipleship. I just wanna tell a little bit of his story. Bonhoeffer's books, uh, just so you know, they were put on a banned list. Uh, then he lost his license to teach at the university that he was teaching at. Uh, Bonhoeffer played a key role in the confessing church in Germany. I don't know if you know that, but the national church, which was the church that had been given to them by Martin Luther, they had endorsed the Nazi party in Nazi Germany. They confessed allegiance to the Nazi party, probably not their best moment. Would you agree with me? The confessing church, however, in Germany had confessed their allegiance to Jesus, not to Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what we know of him is he actually had tried to kill Hitler in an assassination attempt. It didn't happen. But this is the part of the story that I wanna share with you. Because he was ultimately, because of that, he was arrested. He was put in the Flossenburg uh, camp. And on April 9th, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged. And as they prepared him for his death, he preached a final sermon. And this is the part that I wanna share with you because his words were remembered and later told by someone that was captured from the Royal Air Force. This is the way that he ended it before he died. He said, this is for me the end, but it is the beginning of life. It's only the beginning. And that is what the resurrection of Jesus does. It changes everything. And the same power, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus, as Acts chapter 10 says, to do everything that he did in his life and ministry. Christian, I'm telling you this, is the same Holy Spirit that indwells you now. You have that kind of power available to you. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.